I get a lot of flack because I'm like, look, you're not going to compare a pie to a croissant, are you? It's not the same fucking thing. Croissant is the top of the food chain. It's the hardest. I love cake. I'll eat cake all day, but let's not, let's not compare the two in technique. And I'm probably going to get real shit on for this, but that's how I feel. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. We welcome back one of my good friends to the show, Akira Akudo. Akira is the co-owner of Los Angeles Sandwich and Pastry Counter and so much more, Kombi, and one of the more clairvoyant voices in the restaurant world. We talk about many things on this entertaining episode, including lunch versus dinner bias, paying for good coffee, that is, you should pay for good coffee, his go-to Los Angeles restaurant rotation, and some strong opinions about New York City. Those would be his opinions and maybe some of mine as well. I love catching up with Akira and think you'll enjoy this episode. Akira Kudo, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Hey, how are you, Matt? Uh, I'm good, man. It's nice to see you. You're episode 45. Uh, you're an, you're an original uh, podcast guest. We're we're longtime friends. I I just love seeing your face. Oh, it's been too long. I haven't uh, I haven't seen a lot of people's faces here, so it's good. You look exactly the same. You do too. You look yeah. great, buddy. <laughs> I have to ask you off the off the jump. Um, you are one of the most voracious restaurant fan supporters, critics, boosters. You're you're all of it wrapped into one. And you've just landed in New York. So tell me, where the heck are you going? Uh, tonight, I'm going to eat at Claude. Yeah. Uh, longtime fl- friends of mine. And we're going for uh, another friend's birthday just really early. And then I'm sure we'll bang, bang into some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't have too much time. I'm flying back to L.A. on Saturday. Yeah. So not too much. Uh, I think we're going to Laser Wolf late night. But, Gr- I, 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 you know, Mike's coming in tomorrow, so I'm going to miss him. But I haven't been, and I hear it's awesome. It's awesome. I went about three weeks ago. The solid team is so on point. And um, I just think the concept, and you'll appreciate this being a restaurant guy, it is very smart. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I also, like, I've been looking on Google to find stuff, but nothing's open past 10 p.m. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild, man. I mean, I, I want to get into your expansion at Combi and, and and kind of some restaurant trends because you're really you're really tapped in. I gotta ask you, Brooks Headley, is, when's he opening? You're you're plugged with Brooks. Uh, you know, <laughs> I um, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> we keep it you know we keep it close to the chest, but I'm I don't kidding. think he knows either. I know. I, I hope earlier than later, but um, I hope by December. I mean, he's going to lose his mind if he doesn't open soon. I mean, I'm I'm kidding too. And so Brooks, uh, fr- famously of Superiority Burger, and uh, now opening a new spot in the old Odessa location on Avenue A. It's going to be uh, something very special. I think uh, New York hasn't seen anything like it uh, in a long time, and I think they're going to just nail it. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about Combi. You uh, have expanded from you originally on the east side. You've expanded to the west side. You had two locations, but you recently shuttered the original location, but clearly not to move, but to maybe change the concept. And I know there's lots of fans of Combi who are listening in right now. You ran a pop up with Miles Thompson, which looked great. Is that what the future of Combi East Side is going to be? Or let's break some news. What are you doing? Uh. I think, um, you know, the, the, the economics are kind of what dictated me and Nick to shut it down. Uh, we, we are thinking of turning it into something much fancier. So we're throwing around some ideas while we're figuring it out. Uh, we've been having friends just do pop-ups there cool. just, just to give us a little bit of money to just cover the rent. Um, but yeah, I think we're not going to do anything to the decor. We're just going to serve eight seats inside and six outside. And, um, there might be Japanese breakfast in the morning and there might be Mm -hmm. just fancier plated food throughout the day. So, uh, are you doing it ticketed? Is that kind of the vibe? We are doing, uh, I think we're doing resi to do the Japanese breakfast. And then we're going to see how reservations play out through the day if if you know some people feel more comfortable making a reservation then i i'm happy to go that route it helps us out 
Um, and if there's people just coming in just to sit down, uh, then we'll just do it that way. Exciting. But we're, just, we're just playing it by ear. I love that. And and that is definitely some of your vibe is is it's more um, kind of like jazz. You, you kind of fl- roll with the punches. Well, we don't know what we're doing. That's really. <laughs> I'm being fair, I guess. <laughs> But you and Nick, let's talk about that. When you say you're going fancier, I, I'm envisioning two chefs. I'm envisioning a, a tasting menu. Like, what do you mean by go fancier? There, there might be a tasting menu at night. Um, yeah. But we, we might, um, you know, I don't remember the last time I went to a tasting menu just because it's too long. Yeah, so I it think is. we've been throwing around the idea of just doing something more like uh, five courses, uh, more fast, like 75 minutes. And uh, we don't have beer and wine there, so kind of kind of limits us. So we're doing um, the stuff I drink at my house. It's kind of like fancier, mm-hmm. fermented, uh, aged juices from like Europe and Canada. Um, there's a guy who I get stuff from that, you know, bottles it like it's wine. So it looks really nice. Extremely cool. So that's all NA. Nice. I love that. NA stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, we're going to try to do it by glass or by bottle. And, uh, I think we're going to do like maybe three or four courses that are set. And then, uh, like you can choose, choose the main. But, you know, we're going to offer, like, a vegan option and a vegetarian option. So cover all our bases. Extremely cool. I think the two tasting menus I've been to recently, I went to Lise and had, like, a mini tasting, which mm. was fast. So lucky. So lucky to get that at reservation. I've talked about it a lot on the on the show. And also I went to La Bernardin, and it's not fast, but it's really, really worth doing that tasting menu. Did you go for lunch? I went for dinner, actually, okay. yeah. And I, I'm going to go back for lunch, hopefully this year. Ooh, um, man, I want to go. Better than ever. Okay. Let's talk about expansion for Combi, though, because Combi is a, a brand and it is a style. You're famous for your egg sandwiches. You're you're famous for a lot of things, but you you expanded to the West Side. Can you go from from two like one now to like three to six? Is that the kind of expansion that you look you know, look forward to? Mm, no, I think the we we were very. Uh, deliberate in the second one, we, you know, we negotiated a long time to get the right deal and we got a good chunk of money to build it. And we thought we were going to do a, the plan was, oh, it's going to be hub and spoke. Like we're going to produce everything out of that bigger space. We have all the nice equipment there. We're going to transport over to the original one and just run Mm -hmm. like a service style restaurant there. But we found that it's a lot more difficult than we imagined to, to scale quality. So there's a lot of communication that goes into it that is, you know, we, we already do a lot of it in Slack and, and, you know, Excel sheets and all that kind of stuff. But just driving 10 miles in traffic and coordinating the prep schedule and then realizing, you know, we're actually out of fridge space to do two restaurants out of one. Mm. So those are all kind of the factors. Um, you have to be out the door by 8.15 with pastries and the milk bread that we're doing. But we don't want um, people in pastry coming before six. So, like, these are the limitations <laughs> that we're we're working with, and we we decided that it doesn't make sense. Like, we're we're basically just gonna break even over there, just working really hard for you know six dollars to fifteen dollars things at a time. Which, yeah. Which you know, Impossible. I don't think people want to do it, it anymore. They want to sit down inside have more of an experience after the last couple of years and totally get that. And, and that was a battle that we just don't want to fight anymore. Yeah. And we, we want to do something different as well. Like we're pretty bored in that space. So I think we um, just kind of got everyone uh, consolidated into the new space. It's running a lot smoother. Yeah. We're working out all the kinks. Um, but yeah, we opened it and it was just a logistical nightmare. And we we really couldn't figure it out. So I don't think that um, hub and spoke is a model that we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about sending it out to other cities or other locations and kind of templating the the menu of the original and not doing hub and spoke? Because it seems to me like everyone deserves a combi, including myself, living in New York. Um, <laughs> I think the, I think the things that we've found now that we've you know brought bread in house and we're, yeah. we're making. Pretty much everything we we found that the first limitation was bread, and we can do that. That's pretty good. We're yeah. building a bread bakery now in in um, in a third location in LA, but I don't think for us to do a full combi, we have to build the whole infrastructure out again, and that means uh, 
labor in another yeah. city. And I think that's the, the tricky part for us is we can make all the stuff. We've grammed out every recipe to the nth degree, but you still have to employ a certain amount of people and train them. And that, that has just become so costly for us to do everything from scratch that I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah. We, we were, you know, we were talking to some people about putting in not a kiosk, but something licensing a little bit. It maybe? Uh, there might be something going on yeah. uh, licensing wise with, with um, a, a different thing, a brand, but it's not yeah. a full restaurant. It would be a limited menu of pastries or something, something that we can control, but we don't need to have uh, 35 people like decamping to New York to open something. Yeah, thanks for being really honest, Akira, because I think a lot of folks tend to talk the big game and it's very hard to follow up the big talk with like these expansion plans and you're very clairvoyant about the way you're speaking about the challenges of scale i have one more question um about economics of restaurants rising food costs man how do you keep up with these rising food costs without like really pissing off your customers with like doubling the prices all the time because it seems like the prices do tend to double often like Uh, no joke i I will say that we don't – we didn't uh, raise our prices in accordance with the rising cogs. Uh, and I think that was only because we had um, we had PPP money, we had ERC money. So we kind of bit the bullet and it, it's pretty detrimental to us now. And we're, we're trying to figure all that out without um, pricing in, in a way that, you know, off puts people trying to buy sandwiches. I mean I think – you know, the things that we've learned are people want to eat inside. They're willing to pay for alcohol at a premium. They're willing to pay more for plated food. Um, for us, everything kind of is hidden in a beautiful package, which costs a lot of money for that. And all the technique that goes into it and all the prep is kind of just hidden between a sandwich. So um, everything that you would do in a fine dining restaurant and source even, you know, is just – thought of as a something that should be cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a battle that um, we thought we could have won. We are not winning that battle. And I think it's just a, the realization that there's a – people are willing to pay a lot less at lunchtime and breakfast for the same stuff, but a, a business owner has got the same labor costs all day and the same yeah, cost like- of goods all day. So – we we obviously haven't figured it out. We're doing – you know our our waste is pretty much none now. But we still – the labor to produce it is just so high that we're, we're basically just breaking even. Yeah. You know? But it looks like because it's busy that we're crushing it and we're making money. And even the, even the staff thinks that way until you show them the, the actual <laughs> P&L and you're like, look, we're running like above 50, sometimes 65, 70 percent labor some days that – it's a little slower, you know. Those things are all, you know, in line with. If it's a slower day, your your labor cost is higher. But like, um, that's not a place you can live and survive as a as a business. And um, you know, we can't just fire half the people. Well, no, and you you have to run a humane um, operation, and you have to you know take the hits with those slow days with your labor pool and your labor your team. Yeah, I'm hearing you speak about a bias. It seems like there's a bias about. Daytime diners and nighttime diners. Daytime diners and particularly the all-day cafe model, those daytime diners are not willing to pay what you're paying at dinner even though your sunk costs are the same. Uh, yeah. I mean I think that's just a um, – I don't I don't know if it's everywhere in the world. I'm not going to make that assumption. But definitely in the U.S., it's, it's a bias that we've encountered yeah. that I, I myself have had it before we opened the same thing. But it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, if you think about, you know, we we started an espresso program. We opened the original one, as you know, and we knew nothing about coffee except we drank it. But then, <laughs> you know, buying coffee and um, making espresso for people, you learn about the whole process and the amount of people that touch coffee before you get your cup of coffee. Um, is mind-boggling. I mean, if you get into it, it's like it's coming from a mountainous region. Oh, we've written far, about it far, extensively far, exactly. on taste. It's and amazing. And then you want to pay $4. You know, it's like that doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's so many steps that go into that. That that um, How can it be possible that's $4? And then 
that's not even including like the dairy that goes into it. People sp- it, still it, spit take a four dollar. Yeah, like they'll spit, yeah. like they're like four dollars for coffee. Yeah. Like yeah, it's it should just, be double the price. I've been saying this for years. It's just like me you've too. been saying it. Like um, a bunch of our friends have been saying coffee shops. Nigel's been saying it. Everyone, absolutely, but a, like, a drip. If yeah. you compare it to an alcoholic beverage where people are willing to pay, you know, let's say twelve or fourteen dollars to twenty dollars plus for a cocktail. And you're, you know, they're being made in giant batches somewhere in a place that doesn't usually cost a lot of money. Shelf stable. Shelf be there stable. Forever. That's made the number by, one thing. Mostly made by unskilled bartenders. It's not like every cocktail is made by a world champion cocktail maker. Mm-hmm. You know, on the, on the average, it's like you can follow a recipe and make a martini. Yeah. And you're going to charge 15 to 20 bucks and people have no problem with it. And, yep. But if you make a beautiful cortado... It's a lot of things that can go wrong. With extremely as you good know. dairy, yeah. you know, with like really, really yeah. like humanely uh, raised cows totally. and like delicious dairy. Yeah, you're not dialing in a cocktail, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like no. you just make the cocktail. It's going to turn out. And I think that's one example where we, we just don't know – uh, how to how to change people's perception of that, except just keep talking about how yep. coffee should be more. Even just like, there's so many examples where you're like, uh, people want to pay four dollars for an oyster, and you're like, the oyster takes three years to grow. Yeah, and you're like, I want to pay four dollars for it to be shipped to me, and and someone's gonna shuck it for you, and you're like, that doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, you're saying it's right? low. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. saying it's too low. Yeah, definitely. Like maybe it should be double the price. Yeah, well, I think we it's it's a refrain on the Taste Podcast, anyone listening, is that we as Americans just don't pay enough money for food. And we've yeah. been spoiled and we've been programmed by fast food that, you know, a, a meal costs $10 mm-hmm. and that is acceptable. You know, I think that that is a totally different topic. But, I, you know, it goes to um, the thing that you don't see the detrimental effects of eating that kind of food in your lifetime. So it eventually does harm you. But in the meantime, you're just like, oh, it's cheap. I can get it. a bigger portion. It's better. I can get more mm-hmm. food. But, you know, we, we encounter that a lot where it's like, how could this be a $15 egg salad? It's so small and I could get this in Japan for $3. And you're like, <laughs> you can't get this. Well, first you, off, no. you have to fly there and like it, the, none of this – Argument makes any sense. It makes no sense. But maybe with the USD being so strong against the yen, but $3, come on. Or like I can make this at my house for whatever. And you're like, you can't make this at your house for cheaper. You can't make any dish in a restaurant cheaper at your house. You can't buy those ingredients in the quantities you would need and – you would have to prep it and clean up. Listener, let that sink in for real. Like, like pause. Like maybe you're listening to this and you're on the treadmill. Like push pause and let that sink in what Akira just said. It, it's you can't make it at home. You're you're not paying for just the food. You're yeah. paying to not prep, grocery shop, and clean up. These are the things that you're paying for. And I don't think anyone no. factors that in. And they also don't factor in like – well, what are you paying yourself while you're doing all those things? Like you ignore all that and then you're like, I could do this for $3. Like (laughs) you can't. It's impossible. And this isn't really a straw man argument. Like there are literally people who are tweeting this shit at you, right? Who are literally – this isn't just fake. No, no, no. I mean they don't – I don't tweet. But like they they are DMing me or just putting it on Instagram that this is expensive or just complaining on Yelp, which we don't really use but someone created for us, which is a whole other issue. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's all tied to the same stuff. People want cheap stuff but for some reason – Food is the area they feel they're an expert in and yeah. can tell you how things should cost, you know. It's and, funny. Yeah, there's a million experts yeah. out there. I want to transition to talk to you about your your very unique partnership with Nick Montgomery. Mm. Love Nick, and I really hope to have Nick on. I plan to should. have him on um, and not you on twice, but I love Nick. He's a, he's a good friend. Um, how do you and Nick keep your relationship fresh, like your creative relationship and just your personal relationship? Because it is difficult to have a partnership, um, but you guys have been together for a while, like a decade now, maybe. Oh man, we've been friends since two thousand seven. Yeah, and you know, you know, I really, I've said this before, and he hates me, but I think hmm. he's one of the best cooks, hands down, in in the country. But you know, I don't. The thing that is difficult with us is, as with anything, if you get recognition for something that you're doing. The more that you kind of grow the business, the less the th- of the thing you get to do. 
So we don't really get to cook anymore. And so when we actually get to just cook, which we've been doing recently with, with testing for the new space, it's it's very joyful. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of ignore all the the stressful things that we have to make decisions on all the time. And, and like the, the stuff that restaurant owners have to do that chefs of restaurants don't necessarily have to do, I think it's like I have a lot of friends who are both, who are chef owners and then who are just chefs. And you see the – the different mindset and you're like, you you don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. Like um, you don't have the the creative energy to come up with dishes all the time. If you're mm-hmm. looking at, all right, I got to figure out this labor cost. I got to figure out HR. I got to figure out accounting. I got to make a decision on, oh, do we want to do that event? Like there's just like an endless stream of things where everyone assumes you have a team in place to like make decisions for you. Like no, no restaurant at a certain size can afford that. Um, So I think for us to keep it fresh, like we don't see each other that much. And now that we have two locations they are kind of spread out um, and, and we, we go out to eat at other restaurants and just kind of try to, chillax, yeah. relax, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we DM each other a lot, food things. Definitely. Ideas. That's but cool like, that you guys are always talking like that. You're both very tapped in to uh, what's happening, and it's nice that you have this constant dialogue. Um, I think of your relationship like John and Vinny. I think mm-hmm. about the guys at the pool, uh, you know, uh, a major food group. I feel like these are these partnerships are rare. Usually they dissolve, mm, you know, within I think, a few years. <laughs> I think um, – you know, those guys are actually successful at making money. <laughs> We're pretty bad at making money. So I think it's a little bit different. Um, no, I think, um, you know, I think the thing that's important is like we've made commitments to be healthy. Yeah. So like, you know, Nick yeah. works out all the time. Like mm-hmm. he's surfing, he's lifting, he's running. Um, I eat pastries. It's yeah. very, very <laughs> easy for me. Um, and, um, you know, I think we, we keep it. Uh, professional. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, you know, I'm there for him. He's there for me. Uh, we definitely have heated arguments about how things should get done as a business. No way. You guys of argue. Of course. Of course. I mean, I don't think it, I'm not. It's not like it's we perfect. scream at each other. No, it's just like, hey, I think we should do it this way. Yeah. No, I think we should do it this way. And then, you know, we're, you know, we just figure it out. But have you almost broken up ever? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think when it comes to I think the unique thing is when it comes to food, how to make something, how to how to cook something, how it should taste, we are almost always aligned. And I think that's kind of one of the big reasons why we had a partnership in the first place is just like, I don't have to go there to taste something. I know it's going to be good. And like, out of respect, we we, sh- we are always like, come taste it. But like, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be good. it's good, like, I'm with you. He's just got your it. back. Put it on. Like, and you've got his back. Yeah. You're an L.A. guy now. You, I mean, you lived in New York for years, and you go back to episode 45 because you can get a sense of your history, and, and I love that episode. I'll link to you in the show notes. I'm glad we're catching up a second time. But um, you're an L.A. guy now, and I want to get your perspective on the show, The Bear. I, it keeps coming up in my life. Like, I get asked about it all the time. We've had a couple of the cast members and, and crew on the show mm-hmm. already. But how have you perceived the show as a member of the – LA food community and restaurant community are we like did it change the game the way we think about are we is the celebrity chef back uh, I don't you know what I don't really I don't really know I mean I know Chris and I know Courtney so um they got invited to the premiere yeah and I didn't go and then I tech Nick went and a bunch of our friends went and um I was like hey should I watch the show and they were like, no, it's very triggering. Do not watch this I show. From- I can't watch it. So I, of course, sat down and watched the whole thing. <laughs> and, yeah, episode seven comes on. Spoiler so alert good. if you're not watching. It's the ticket episode. I literally just crouched up in a ball on the couch and <laughs> so stressed out and also just, like, so angry at many other things that I think, you know, people who, who are on the other side yeah. are probably thinking about something else. And we were just kind of like – I'm so angry that these people don't have accountability. Like, everyone's at fault here, but it seems like it's, you know, it's getting taken out on the, the one guy. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think that it's changed much for restaurants. I think, like, you know, the, the generation that works now in, in our restaurant and a bunch of other friends' restaurants think it's a very cool show. 
And, you know, I've heard friends tell me that their cooks have asked them, like, hey, is that where you got, like, the <laughs> tape cutting idea? And it's just like, no. Like. <laughs> Famously, the tape cutting idea in one of the episodes <laughs> is definitely how you, like, uniform labels using tape and, and with the knife. And it's a great little scene. And Yeah. I mean, I think Chris nailed a lot of these um, details. Yeah. And, and, and Courtney. They, they, Courtney, yeah, too. Courtney nailed Maddie it. as well. And, and, you know, they nailed it. And um, it hits home. But it's definitely a reflection and and the capturing of fine dining restaurants and doing a fine dining techniques and organization in a non-fine dining setting. Like it hits home for me. Absolutely. Um, I mean you worked in fine dining and you absolutely are trying to do that all the time at Combi. It's obvious you talked about what goes into a, a sandwich. I mean it's essentially the same food you're doing. Mm. They're doing Italian beef. You're doing a Japanese egg sandwich. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of steps that go into it and it's really difficult. Oh, man. I mean I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast, but um, if you're going to do a sandwich – um, the way that, you know, I think I define a sandwich and Nick defines a sandwich, then it's very difficult. It's, um, hey, no, I, I love sandwiches. I'm not trying to hate on sandwiches, but the way we want to make a sandwich is it should be able to be portable. If you eat it in your car or on the street, it shouldn't fall apart in your lap and be messy. Like your hand should be clean. So like that's the definition of a sandwich for us. It should be uh, self-plated. You don't have to yeah. use a utensil. And I love sandwiches that, you know, are big and, like, stick out the side, but that's just not what we do. Um, so that makes it very difficult for us to, one, create a sandwich that fits in that template, and, two, to to make it that way requires uh, getting 25 people to get in line and not cut a corner. And that, you know, is hard to get people to understand before they see the finished product. You're like, oh, well, why can't we just do it this way? It's a lot yeah. easier. And you're like, well – because 10 steps down the line, it doesn't really work when you put it in the box, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these things that show up. Um, so I, I think for us, it's, it's, it's um, y- you know, something that we're constantly working on. How can we make something that uh, someone else can teach someone else to make? A, a right? big tension in the show is Carmi deciding if he's going to run Brigade or not mm-hmm. within the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Do you run Brigade within Combi? Do you have this, like, yes, chef mentality? No, no. I think that is a big difference between that show and um, a lot of our friends' places. And our place is just we do a lot of the things up to a point, but we <laughs> definitely leave it at um, we chef, yes, chef. Uh, we are from a school of cooking where chef, the way we would use it seems like a derogatory term. So you're like making fun of someone if you say chef, like you, you messed up. Yeah. So we try to just use people's names. Um, it seems to be just also easier in Los Angeles where people don't understand sarcasm. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, uh, it's, <laughs> it's so true. It goes over, um. Sorry. Ugh. Apologies to L.A. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, LA. irony and sarcasm doesn't flow sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting about the the idea of the brigade, though. You give, like, responsibilities to members of your staff, like, that is p- portrayed on the bear. Is there somebody doing garbage? Is there somebody uh, doing— No, no, we don't have that. We have more of a—in uh, uh, the new space, we have more of a um, uh, fine dining or Spanish style where— um, Everyone kind of preps uh, things all together. It's just more efficient for us. And uh, it goes back to just like, all right, if you're going to have an $11 egg salad, it seems expensive, but it's actually um, pretty cheap for what you have to do to make it. But on the flip side, you know, if you're going to make thousands of them, you have to consider what goes into uh, the prep for it. So for us, we made the determination that like, look, like we are not going to have – four people preparing eggs for f- several hours every day. They get bored. You can see their eyes glaze over. And then it's a different time. And it's like it's not that exciting to peel eggs. No, and, and, and putting in those dues, the net benefit is less and less yeah, by the day. They're going to quit. They're going to quit, exactly. They're, they're going <laughs> to complain about their hands being cold. Their hands are going to get, uh, you know, it's just like I don't want to do it. Anymore? No. Why would I want these guys to do it? I, like, I respect that take. I mean, that's so, fair because I think there's still to this day this mi- mythology around you have to pay dues in the kitchen. And as a manager, nah, you can't no, do that. No. I mean, I don't think that there should be uh, like a system to like initiate people. I think that doesn't really make sense as a sustainable business. I think that 
um, you know, having people do the tasks that they're qualified for and then slowly moving them through tasks that make more sense is what we try to do. But sometimes you're just short-staffed and people get thrown in the fire. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a fine dining restaurant where you have to pick everything up and coordinate with people. It's like, okay, you have to make this sandwich and you just put up as fast as possible. It's very more like uh, fast food style where um, we've set it up where it literally has like a – you walk in, you order, but like all the food flows from the kitchen to the to the expo, and the expo kind of coordinates everything and drops it at the pass. So which like, kind of works? It works <laughs> really well. McDonald's has been it's, around forever. Mastered it. We yeah. we did all the stuff at Echo Park during COVID to kind of change the system, and we realized like, look, it's already been figured out. Why are we even trying nah. to like do it better? Let me ask you about New York versus L.A. You got lots of thoughts on both cities. And I want to know first, like L.A. dining scene right now. I mean, traffic is such a nightmare and it's a boring topic, but it's preaching in our conversation because how the hell do you dine out in L.A.? I, I think that you go um, early. You can go You can go to L.A. and eat at 5, 530, which is actually a um, hard reservation to get. Like a lot of people eat early in LA, similar to Los An- uh, similar to San Francisco, and um, if you really want to eat without hassle, you go to the nine o'clock. You just walk in pretty much anywhere nine o'clock except Bestia. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> it's always and, like yeah, except Bestia. Except ex- Bestia makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and then so, Felix, I'm sure you can't walk into Felix. Felix probably not, but like. At, at nine o'clock, usually there's no traffic. You can go anywhere pretty quickly, and you can sit anywhere and eat. And have a have a pretty good time. Otherwise, it's a it's a real crapshoot. Let's put out some uh, some names, some places, some some addresses. Where where should we go in LA? I got to ask you. Um, you've got your you got your taste. You got your opinions. What's good right now in in Los Angeles? I love that you're oh, like pausing and sighing. Dude, you know this is not cool, man. Like <laughs> one. I am not a very exciting or adventurous diner, so I only go to places that. I can guarantee myself a good meal. It's rare that I'll try something new. Um, so I stick to basically like mm. Anna Jack, Found, Subaki. Yeah, um, Subaki. That's yeah. kind of my rotation. And then I get a lot of to-go orders from like Mini Kebab, Kismet Rotisserie, mm-hmm. um, Zangilov Hats, like yep. that kind of stuff. By and, your by your spot, by where you live. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, Are you in Glendale? I'm in Glendale yeah, now, yeah, yeah. and I think that, he, you know, for me, it's like, it's not a mo- matter of money. Like, I'm happy to pay whatever it costs to eat somewhere, because complaining about pricing is stupid. Stupid. We've, like, we've, this is what it costs. We've like, established stop that. Stop talking about pricing. Like, <laughs> Rewind 30 yeah, minutes can, of this you conversation. Can, yeah, <laughs> you can say the service sucked, or any other complaint a restaurant's cool with, but you can't say it's too pricey. Like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. You don't know the economics. You don't know anything. Um, so, I, you know, I don't mind, but like a lot of the places that I would want to go to are, are, I'm just not organized to get a reservation and I don't like to call in like a favor. So I don't mm. like to text, but I, I did call in a favor a couple weeks ago for Mother Wolf, um, yeah. that I, I couldn't get a reservation. So Evan hooked me up to take one of my, my managers. We, he really wanted to go. So we went and, and he killed us and it was delicious, but like, yeah. I, you know, it was like two people and he fed like 10 people with this. Yeah. I've had that happen recently a few times. It's 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 really kind, but it's not not really a great experience when you just have like five desserts for two people. It was it was delicious, and it's I so just good, wish though. I was ten years younger. You know what I mean, <laughs> brother? Do I? <laughs> um, what about K Town? I mean, Hanje Park is it still Yo, good? You know, I haven't been to K Town since you were in town. <laughs> we went to meal there. I just don't go there. It's cool. inconvenient for me. All right. I don't. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, like. I, I'll go if someone's hyped on a place that's underground and knows it's gonna be good. I yeah. just I just Korean food is very hard for me. I grew yeah. up there, so um you know, not a lot of people know that, but I I have uh, Korean, you know, grandparents and a mother, so I, I know the food in Seoul. I just don't know how to make any of it. So <laughs> I know what it should taste like, so yeah. I, I, and it's, I've only had home cooked meals. As you know, like if you grow up in a lot of places, like you don't really go out to eat. Like you're you're mm-hmm. getting food cooked at home, so the standard is so high. We're um, grappling a lot with this question in mm-hmm. Korea world as we're writing it. Um, okay, it's it's very challenging, and your point is so taken. Yeah, home cooked Korean meal uh, for someone from Seoul or from LA right. or from Chicago 
oftentimes. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather have an interpretation of Korean food that's a little more modern. Yeah. Um, you know, add a boy, add a mix, like parachute. Like Jumak. I think those are yeah, Jua. Yeah. I think those are more exciting for me to to just kind of go eat or, or uh, what's that? Um, Oiji. Yeah. That they just reopened. Ama- yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. Like stuff like that is really exciting. Um, that they can take something and, and mm-hmm. just take it to the next level and 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 make it something that everyone should appreciate. Um, you know, Japanese food is delicious. It's always been on a pedestal, but the Korean food is is can be the same. Like there's no it's no I think I mean it has still. been elevated and totally. where I think Korean cuisine is has certainly surpassed Japanese cuisine in many mm-hmm. ways in the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for like a heat map heat check kind of moment, Korean food is is just being talked about more. I mean, I think that, I mean, Mosu just got three stars. I mean, Sung's killing it in Seoul. Yep. I think, you know, the design in Korea is... Love that is, spot. The location and the vibe of that room oh, is amazing. Man, I haven't been in so it's long, cool. so I want to go. But, like, the, the design in Korea is cool. Like, obviously, the pop music's always been there, mm-hmm. you know, but the food is starting to really get the attention and the, the recognition that it deserves. Um, and not just like, oh, we use gochujang. You know, it's, you know what I mean? Like... Oh, we use Korean ingredients in our food. No. It's like, oh, this is a Korean restaurant, but modernized through a totally different lens. All the, the flavors are there, but it's like lighter, plated on nice ceramics. Like nothing wrong with these things. It's You're going to hear the name Mingu Kang a lot on this podcast mm. in the next year. And Mingles? Yeah, Mingles yeah, yeah, in yeah. Seoul. Um, he has a chicken restaurant. He does this uh, fried chicken sandwich that um, I've written a lot about for the book and I'll be talking about. Mingu is doing a book um, about Tenjan and Gojijan and Ganjan. He's a name that – just remember that name if you mm-hmm. have it. It's so exciting. Well, like you know what I mean. Like the the even the ingredients, like they're just starting to get more recognition. Oh, there is yeah. aged soy sauce in Korea too. And you're like, no shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, no shit. Well, I mean how do you uh, grapple with this, like this identity? Because your name you, – you have – you are associated with Japanese cuisine and culture more. But your mother is from Seoul and you live there. How do you personally – um, I mean, this is such a hard question. I'm sorry I'm asking it. No, but I- no. I mean, I think, like, I just don't talk about it. Like, I grew up in Korea and Japan, but, like, I don't identify with either 100%. You know, I, I grew up in New England as well. So it's, like, it's always, a like, I don't fit in anywhere perfectly, but I take all the good parts of each country and just, like, yeah. this is what I like. I mean, I don't care about the other stuff. It doesn't, <laughs> like, I don't need to know. It's not, like, something that influences my decision making. Yeah. Um, so, like, I just I just want to eat the good stuff. Respect your taste. Yeah. Respect your living your truth. I, I, I think that's – it's very interesting. And I hope you write about it one day. Uh, maybe. maybe. But, yeah, I'm not going to say, like, I make Korean food mm-hmm. or I use Korean ingredients. Like, we specifically don't have Korean ingredients in the restaurant. Not out of disrespect, but just um, I, I don't want to make confusing food. Like, that's just – you have to pick a lane, yeah. and, and especially with the long history of the two two countries and the way they've kind of mingled together. Um, to put it lightly, um, it's you have to pick a lane. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you a few more LA questions: Lakers or Clippers? Who's oh, going to win? Man. It? You know what? Uh, I got to be honest. We've been catering a lot of the Clippers things, yeah, uh, practices and games. Yeah, um, we're good friends with the chef of the Clippers. Um, it's Peter Serpico's old sous chef from Serpico. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I've gotten to know a lot of kind of like their organization and what they're putting into their new stadium is very impressive. I think they're going to – I think they're going to be doing well this year and and in the future because their owner has $100 billion and is not afraid to spend. Yeah, I'm sure he's had one of your egg sandwiches too. Mm, I hope so. Um, Lakers, I think, you know, they're they're primed. I don't know. I kind of am rooting for the Clippers for for, uh, my time in L.A. I I mean, Lakers are – you know, institution. They it's are like rooting for the Yankees. Exactly. Like, yeah, at no some one... point, you kind of have to root for the other team just because. And I'm not loyal to any sports team. Like, no. there's no reason for me. I'm too old. Uh, another LA question: Are the Bagels really that good? No comment. Like, the Bagels are good. Like, cor- Courage is amazing. Um, but I just don't eat a lot of bagels. Yeah. Like me when too. I come to New York, I'm not seeking out a bagel. No. You know, like. <laughs> well, you're not going to H and H and running over like, there. <laughs> like. A bagel in New York is this at this point has become just like big puffy bread. Like you have to go to the right place to get a ba- a real yeah. bagel. So 
you know, the courage is I still think is making something that resembles a bagel. So, yeah. And it's delicious. We had Hannah Ziskin on the show uh, recently. My neighbor. Yeah, she shouted you. Now, what about the pizza in L.A.? Bill Addison just did a big piece on it. I, I love that piece, though my guy Dan Holzman didn't get in the list. And big mistake, Bill. I think you big, you, huge you, mistake. You, you, you whiffed Blew it on that it. one. But what? Yeah. But what is the what is the scene like? The L.A. pizza scene right now. I don't know what happened since COVID. Everyone maybe decided to bake bread and then bread turned into pizza. It's funny, but <laughs> but um. We are so spoiled. I mean, like Quarter Sheets is my per- like my Ugh. neighbor at home and at the restaurant. Can't and wait we to joke, try it. We joke because when they started their cottage bakery, I was harassing them like, "Don't open a restaurant. This is great. I can just get stuff at your house." <laughs> and then they opened uh, next to Combi, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be awesome." And then now we never see each other because they're at work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm not at work, so yeah, uh, it sucks. But the pizza there is. Awesome. I think that, um, you know, obviously Pizza Bianco is the the game in town, but I haven't been at night. Big hype. Big hype for that place. Awesome. Yeah. Um, You know, there's even like U Street in Pasadena is killing it. Mm -hmm. There's so much good pizza um, and you don't really have to travel far. And there's different styles. Uh, Brandoni, uh, Pepperoni is doing cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there's just... um, a creative side of pizza in LA that you you don't even have to have a brick and mortar. I mean, people Definitely. are still sticking to the come get it at my house, and like if you can do that, you should do that because I love it. I love the pop up nature of the pizza scene in LA, and it's definitely in other cities too. Last question about LA: I want to talk about coffee. I think like you introduced me to the Civil Coffee guys, mm-hmm. which I think they have run really cool cafes. Um, where should we be drinking coffee right now? You're, you work with Camber, mm-hmm. uh, coffee from yep. Seattle, yep. really, really, really good roaster, a little bit slept on on the East coast, but I love their coffees. I, I think that, uh, well, they're in Bellingham. So it's, okay. it's, it's, you know, no, to us, it's no distinction, but to them, mm-hmm. they're like, we're in Bellingham. Okay. All right. You're 90, 90 minutes North of Seattle. Let's be clear. Good correction. Yeah. Um, Bellingham. you know, it's, a, it's not a micro roaster anymore. They've grown a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think they can, and they can supply a lot more. Um, I think people on the East Coast should use them if they could, but also the logistics are tricky. Um, in LA, I think you should go to Nicely's new spot, Hooked. He's it's inside of Dudley Market. Yes, um, nicely he able. Is, he is the greatest barista. You, I mean, he knows so much, and yeah. he will nerd out with you. I mean, we went into just kind of. I've been trying to teach myself how to to make espresso and stuff, just because I'm bored. <laughs> and and um, he'll nerd out about the difference between a Cortado and a Gibraltar, and he'll get into the history of it, which I didn't know, and like most nobody knows. So he'll he'll go into it, make you one and the other one right next to each other, and and kind of walk you through. Oh yeah, the, you introduced whole... me to nicely. What a great introduction! Oh, he was God. on the podcast on a group session we mm-hmm. had a couple years back okay. in L.A. I think yeah, I think that's a good spot. I think Endorphin. Uh, mm. You got. We always go there. I don't know, you know that one. Yeah, it's in Far East Plaza. Jack is. Uh, oh, that place yeah, yeah. right next to. Uh, I mean, now serving. Now, yeah, yeah. yeah so right. Bill Allison is a huge fan. Yeah, um, place is y- cool. You know, I think that he, Jack's been doing it a long time. He uh, has been there six years, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a worthy spot. I think obviously Civil Boys uh, and Dayglo, I think, does a really good job of yeah. one um, making good coffee, but also pushing the envelope on pricing. So, like, all these places are starting to push the envelope on pricing. I encourage it so that we look cheap. I agree fully. But, and and their retail component at Dayglow, like, just walking in, seeing the seeing the wall mm-hmm. and seeing, like, 8 to 12 different coffees from around the world. But I agree. You, it's $8 for a, a coffee, either siphon or pour over, and, like, that's the right price. So they have, like, a A, B menu? That's so right. A, like, so if you get A, that you can get a Cortado for, let's say, $5. That's right. From a, a great roaster, uh, and then if you get B, it'll be like $11 Cortado. And, you know, maybe they just want to buy cool coffees and that's what it costs. Or it could also just be psychologically like you see $11 and you're like, oh, I could get two of the A's and it's cheaper than B. So hmm. $5 seems cheap, which I think is Starbucks pricing, which is smart. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's so cool that they can offer that. And people don't usually complain. Like they're just like, all right, I'll just get I'll get A and it's cool and 
Sometimes I'll because get these back to this point, these are the same people, which is like most people who are paying nine to twelve dollars for a can of beer. Yes, at a bad sometimes bar. more. Oh, I many mean, times you know, like more. Even retail, you're paying more than that yeah. for a can of beer. A can of macro beer. Like, no offense, beer makers, but come on, man. Like it's not the same thing. I drink NA now. I drink Athletic, and I'll pay for those guys. But I feel it's more like coffee just needs to be at that same level, and we just need man. I hope man, if you've if, gotten this if, far in the show, you you you're with us. You're oh down my to god! Down. If every coffee maker out there and roaster and coffee shop, let's just do it. Let's just make all coffee beer pricing. Yeah, all at the same time. Fuck everyone. How do we? Do, yeah, I've been mean, truly spoken like a like a champion. And uh, I'm gonna. Get it's a n- drug in the morning. I don't get it. It is the like, same thing. Yeah, I, I just. Shot, I'm gonna shoot Nigel Price an email. And hopefully, get him on the show soon from Drip. You should. We're man, both he is the. His. He is my favorite coffee shop in New York. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Drip Roasters. There's one in uh, down in Tribeca. There's one in in Brooklyn Heights, and uh, one in in Bed Stuy or Bed Stuy is the original one. Yeah. The second one was Clark Street. Train station. Love that. Then right. Soho in an office building. Um, yeah, that's more then, Soho, right? Yeah, yeah. Then he opened uh, Williamsburg. That's right. He opened Williamsburg. Yep. So, so drip. Okay, Akira, we asked you this question three years ago, and I'm going to ask you it again, and maybe your answer has changed. We asked all guests on the Taste Podcast. There's a dream food book or cookbook project that you could work on without the burden of time. Mm-hmm meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. Yep. Kira, what would that book be? Oh, I think I thought about this this morning. Uh, I knew you were going to ask it. So um, I would do a book on the world's best cortados and <laughs> cannelés and croissants. <laughs> Triple it's literally C. My, the three C's of my morning. Um, I think that would be my dream catalog book where I'm like, all right, we're going to go to 50 cafes in the world and 50 bakeries that are obscure, and they're probably all going to be in Japan, and it's going <laughs> to be awesome. And whoever wants to come with me should come because it's going to be gross. Uh, so your cannelé is like I was at Combi on week one of uh, of service. I think it was in 2018 or 19. When did you? I was there. 2018. 2018. I was there. Horrible. That, it was like October, right? I uh, bought three or four cannelés, and honestly, they were as good then as they are now. Like you have mastered that shit. It is so uh, good, man. I wouldn't say I met. I don't even right, make well, them anymore, Matt, as you know. Mm, but they you know. are just as good as when I made them, if not better. I think. Pastry team at Combi is, is you know, yep. doing a really good job. It's it's exciting. And the Triple C book concept, I think there's legs there. I think so. Who's in? Who well, wants the, to do this? Croissants. I mean, you have your sheeter we've written about on Taste. It's so hard to do. Dude, I don't know why anyone does croissants. Mm-hmm. I only make them do it because t- I want to eat them. And selfishly, I, I need them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone should do them. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I get a lot of flack because I'm like, look, you're not going to compare a pie to a croissant, are you? It's not the same fucking thing. Like, <laughs> croissant is the top of the food chain. It's the hardest. Like, I love cake. I'll eat cake all day. But let's not, let's not compare the two in technique. Um, and I'm probably going to get real, real shit on for this. But that's how I feel. That's the poll quote. Clayton. <laughs> Make that the poll quote. Clayton, our great editor. Kira Kudo, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me on. Eliza, we are back with three things. How the heck are you? I'm I'm good. I have three things at the top of my mind and a million things in the back of my head. What's your first? I feel like I'm always talking about fruit on this show, but that's just who I am. Um, my first is that I did <laughs> a Thanksgiving recently. We're recording this um, right at the end of November right now. And my Thanksgiving was a very over-the-top restaurant industry in the city Thanksgiving. And we had seven desserts. And I did not think this was going to be my favorite, but the poached pears were the absolute star and um, have kind of relaunched a poached pear obsession for me. Um, we did them with red wine and star anise and a lot of citrus, some some grapefruit and orange in the poaching liquid, Ooh. and uh, served them with creme anglaise, and they were tender and, and delicious. But I think the best part is that I got to bring home the leftovers and eat them over 
oatmeal and yogurt for breakfast um, kind of every day since. And now that I've run out, I think it's time for me to, to just poach a new batch and have them. Oh my God. Question. So how do you hang with professionals at a friend's Thanksgiving? Like, <laughs> are you staying out of the way or are you feeling because you've got a food writer card and you and you have a little bit of experience and you're, you're dope. You're a great, you're a great cook. So I, I don't want to be like silly about this. You are a dope cook. So but how do you, but how do you feel going toe to toe with a professional? Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't really say I went toe to toe. I kind of like got two things on the menu. I made a, a roasted squash with a homemade salsa matcha. That was good. And then I did a, a radicchio salad with tahini ranch that I kind of arranged almost like a blooming onion. Um, so, you know, like my friends have eaten my food a lot before and they like my food. So it was easy for me to get those assignments. But, you know, the day of I was just kind of hanging out, like helping peel potatoes, um, watching the Westminster dog show, you know, one of one of our cooks um, works mm-hmm. at Per Se, so I'm not going to get in his way too much, but I will, you know, hang out and, and kind of help in as needed, which was nice. Eliza, this is a great reminder that radicchio salads are going to be part of our winter cooking because radicchio is a great winter um, bitter green. Yeah, the radicchio was so great. The, the running joke was that we were going to get gout by the end of Thanksgiving. So it really um, saved us from ourselves in a good way, bringing some of that uh, bitterness and brightness. Matt, what's your first thing? I, I, no one wants to hear about Thanksgiving in December, but it relates to like holiday cooking and also just cooking in general. Smoke your turkey and or buy a smoked turkey. I'm a little over this like notion of should I brine? Should I, is it dry? Blah, blah, blah. The turkey is not good. Like we all know that, but a smoked turkey is really good and it's actually so much better the next day. When you have smoked turkey around, you can do so much more with it than that dry turkey meat and and doing like a ramen with it, which I think is quite a meme. Fine. But like having smoked turkey um, for sandwiches or for some kind of cooked dish, um, gratin potentially, I just love that choice. My my mom made that choice and I, I respect it. Yeah, my uncle does a smoked turkey every year in addition to the non-smoked turkey and you know, obviously I miss my family a lot staying in New York this year, but I think missing that smoked turkey, especially for the leftover sandwiches was up there. So I think that's a great thing to be calling out. Does your dad smoke it himself or is there uh, is it procured from a fine Los Angeles uh, seller of smoked mm. turkey? It is my uncle and he smokes it himself in the backyard, which is one of the perks of living uh, somewhere warm for Thanksgiving is that you can spend the day doing that. But definitely a, a self-made smoked turkey. I love to hear that backyard smoking. Eliza, what's your next of three things? My next of three things, a spice blend that Burlap and Barrel just released with Sola and Ham Elwali that's called Nothing Hidden Ranch, um, kind of playing off of the Hidden Valley Ranch. (laughs) Um, And it's a dried spice blend that has buttermilk powder, a nutritional yeast, and chives and dill and garlic powder, citric acid, all of those good things in it that I picked up recently. And in the past, when I've made this tahini ranch dressing, it's just been, uh, you know, tahini, garlic, maybe some sour cream or Greek yogurt. It's it's hitting on that ranch flavoring in, a, in like one sense, but less explicitly. And this time I had this hidden, nothing hidden ranch powder that I just chucked a bunch of it in there. And it was so good. I think it would be really good on popcorn. I think it would be really good um, just like with a pot of beans. Like I'm very excited to just be seasoning everything in my life with this ranch powder, I would say. Eliza, talk about a stocking stuffer, not hidden Hidden Valley Ranch. I'm sure the season disorder is on its way, but that's up for them to figure out. (laughs) I love this product. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it would be a great stocking stuffer. And I would also say in general, all of Burlap and Barrel's spices are really high quality and they do a lot of cool collabs with people in the food world um, with custom blends. So if you are looking in the market for for those little gifts, I, I would definitely head to their website. Matt, what's your second thing? My next thing, I want to talk about N.A. beer for a second. Um, We don't cover too much beer and wine on taste. 
it, it goes back to our, our deep relationship with Punch, our friends there. Um, we typically were not covering the spirits world when we were sister publications with them, but they've moved on to Vox and we wish them well. So we might start writing a little bit more about spirits and beer in the next year. But this has gotten me thinking um, over holiday season. Um, I've I've been a fan of athletic brewing since the summer, and I think I mentioned it on a previous uh, pod. But I, I think my mind and brain has opened so much to this world of NA beer, 0.0 beer, I think that like well, back to Athletic, they they are a brewery that that has brewing in Connecticut and San Diego. They're pretty expanded now, and I really like their IPAs and hazy IPAs. Um, I'm not really missing anything from the alcohol. I'm getting exactly what I want from a from a from an IPA, which is carbonation and bitterness. I, I think it's a great reset on the palate. It's a great way to start a meal. It's a great way you can have it all throughout your meal, and it really helps with the with why I like the flavor of beer. It's kind of a palate cleanser, but I also want to shout out some of the more macro breweries that are actually putting out decent products, Heineken and, you know, Budweiser is 0.0. Honestly, not bad. It's crazy. I never thought I'd be a Budweiser 0.0 fan, but I thought it was pretty refreshing. Yeah. I haven't had the Budweiser one, but I think the athletic brewing ones are, are super great. And, and even as someone that doesn't really like IPAs. Um, but I will buy them for my friends. I think having them around as an option, like whether or not people are abstaining entirely or they just want to add it into the mix, I think is like a really nice, thoughtful thing you can do this time of year, especially with all of the holiday parties and gatherings that are happening. Yeah, Eliza, great point. I think it's nice to stock an NA um, beer along with an NA cocktail, but I think a lot of NA drinkers um, tend to get a little burnt out with the overly sugared NA cocktails uh, and sodas offered. So a beer is a nice option. Um, I want to call it a couple more products. The Langanitas does an NA beer that I really like as well. And a product I've not encountered, but I, I'm really curious about is a Suntory 0.0 beer that's actually zero calorie as well, which kind of is blowing my mind. A zero calorie 0.0 beer. How is that even possible? Uh, I mean, Japan. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to buy some on Amazon, I think, and try it, and I'll report back. Um, Eliza, what's your final of three things? My final of three things is something that I think a lot of people in the food world are talking about, which is I went to go see The Menu recently, and I just want to recommend to anyone listening that if you haven't seen this movie and you want to see something that's just like a really good time, um, that also is skewering the food world and especially the world of high-end restaurants, uh, definitely worth going to see. We we don't tell each other our three things ahead of time, but I know our producer, uh, Pat Stango, is uh, a fan of the film as well. And he does a great podcast called The B.O. Boys. I love that you've you've seen the film and you like it. It's it's getting great reviews. My final is also pop culture related, uh, television related, film related. Have you heard of the show The White Lotus? Uh, I watch every week. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, the the, the second season is great. And the reason I'm talking about it on our, our podcast and our show is because I have an observation. It's related to Jason Stewart's recent episode on the Taste Podcast. He has a, a, a spicy take about Italian food in Italy. Um, spoiler, he calls it pretty mid. I, I, I have to agree with him. I think there's it's challenging to eat eat a great food in any city, including New York, when you don't have um, your priorities in check. And he he sets out some great priorities. My comment about the, the show, which is amazing, is that for Italy, food plays such a zero role in the show, which is amazing because most shows set in Italy really fetishize the cuisine. And it also shows me how a certain, you know, that the show is based around a um, very affluent uh, guest of a, of a hotel in Sicily, how they eat all of their meals at the hotel, which is such a bummer to like observe, but it's probably a reality for some. Yeah. You know, you said that and I instantly I started racking my brain trying to think about any food scene I can remember from the show. I feel like the breakfast buffet is definitely what plays the most prominent role and I can picture I think they like cannoli and and at one point uh Jennifer Coolidge is asking if they have is it Oreo cake something with Oreos that she wants to get <laughs> Oreo um, cheesecake Oreo cheesecake yeah she's like, <laughs> Oreo cheesecake I wish I could do the accent but I, I won't attempt it on air um but it's interesting that uh <laughs> you know the breakfast buffet is is definitely what comes to mind for me and I guess there is one scene where they they 
take the Vespa into town and go eat. Um, I think it's linguine with clams, but I don't even remember seeing it. It's more that they're talking about it as as the thing that they have to do rather than focusing on them actually eating it, um, which I think is an astute observation. And I'm looking forward to trading uh, theories with you about who's murdered on the show, um, maybe off air. <laughs> I will have to go off there. I think it's like Vongole. I, that's not an attempt, attempt at Jennifer Coolidge, but it is a Vongole they were eating in that hotel or that yeah. restaurant. But it felt like that was a real secondary point in that scene. There is a gelato scene um, and there is an arancini scene that I'm remembering, but they don't get into the food um, as much as you would expect in Italy. Um, it's just an just an observation. I, I love gelato, though. I feel like gelato is is my favorite Italian food. Yeah. Do you have a favorite gelato flavor? Yes. Um, hazelnut. I definitely like hazelnut when I'm in, when I'm in country. You know, that's I don't like hazelnut much outside of it, but it's pretty great there. How about you? What's your favorite? I, I think stra- stracciatella is is a classic, but again, it, when it's done well, it's so delicious. And if you're going for a uh, two scoop gelato which you know is what i would prefer to do i think stracciatella is a really good base scoop to have with whatever second edition you want oh my gosh brooks headley gelato and sorbet together the two scoop combination oh so good yeah i'm playing the long game i want both eliza it's been great catching up with you thanks for doing three things yeah thanks for having me talk to you soon The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.